Shalom. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Emmaus Road Fellowship, where we encounter Yeshua in the scriptures. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org, where you'll find additional teachings and information on visiting us in Kingwood, Texas. If you've been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving to support Emmaus Road's mission of spreading the good news of the kingdom. May God grant you shalom in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah. All right, so this week, we are almost at Passover. If that's a surprise to you, then where have you been? <laughs> no, but it's almost here. Yeah, Passover begins Wednesday night. Today is Shabbat Hagadol, the great Sabbath. And it is, well, so Shabbat Hagadol commemorates the day in which the children of Israel took a lamb into their homes on the 10th day of Nisan when they were in Egypt. And that began the process of the inspection of the lamb and preparing to offer it unto the Lord on the afternoon of the 14th of the month. Now, according to tradition, the 10th of Nisan, when the children of Israel were in Egypt right before the Passover, fell on Shabbat. So, every, well, on the Saturday preceding Passover is, is Shabbat Hagadol. And there's a remembrance of the miracle that God performed for the children of Israel during that time because they were taking a lamb into their home in the sight of all the Egyptians, which would have been highly offensive to the Egyptians because a lamb was one of their deities. And so to take it into your home and say, I'm going to offer this unto the Lord and we're all going to offer your God, and you know, not your God, but what you would think of as a God unto the Lord would have been offensive to the Egyptians. And so the sages attribute a miracle of the Lord in that day because the Egyptians were not able to touch the Israelites who were taking that lamb into the home. And so they inspected it for a four-day period and offered it up. Now, normally, when we have an, an observance about a historical event, we go by the the calendar of saying, okay, well, the 10th of Nisan would always be the great day before the Passover. But some years, the 10th of Nisan does not fall on Saturday. Yet the Saturday before Passover is still considered Shabbat Hagadol. And the primary reason for that is the miracle that was attributed to God in protecting the children of Israel at, on that day. And so Shabbat Hagadol is celebrated at, at always on a Saturday. Now this year, today happens to be the tenth of Nisan, so that's 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 neat when it when it lines up. Um, but there's a couple of other well, there are actually many things that have happened historically on the tenth of Nisan. One was the death of Miriam, and another was when Joshua and the children of Israel were were crossing the Jordan. And in Joshua 3 and 4, when the children of Israel are getting ready to cross into the promised land after 40 years in the wilderness, the priests carry the Ark of the Covenant into the Jordan River during flood season, and God stopped the waters such that it's almost like the, the water was dammed up and could not flow, and so the water just cleared out and the children of Israel crossed through on dry land. So that was on the 10th of Nisan as well. So great things have happened on this day. And um, before we talk about Yeshua and what he did on this day, let's read in Exodus 12, 
verses 1 through 17. These are the verses associated with Shabbat Haggadol. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons. According to what you can, to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head and its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened and your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove the leaven out of your houses, for if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days, but what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared by you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For on this very day I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. All right, so it was only at this time when the children of Israel were in Egypt that they were commanded to take a lamb into their home and to inspect it for for these four days. And that this lamb was going to be offered for each of their households and God was going to then bring a great deliverance to the children of Israel, taking them out of the burdens of Egypt and being the process of taking them or creating a nation and bringing them to him as one people. Now, as we commemorate Shabbat Haggadol and we're preparing for Passover this coming week, we know that when we celebrate our Passover, we're going to be celebrating the exodus from Egypt and also the exodus from sin and death that we have through Yeshua, our Messiah. Right? Because the exodus from Egypt brought a people out of the burdens of this world under a king or a pharaoh who was unrighteous and who would prevent them from following God and being part of God's family. So God delivered them from that affliction. Well, so too, the people of the world are held captive by sin and death and need to be delivered from sin and death, which is the tyrant that rules over them. And so God sent Yeshua, his son, to be the deliverer for us, to bring us out of sin and death, to bring us into life, to create a people 
who would live holy unto him. To both, And it's open to both Jew and non-Jew, right? All who will call on the name of the Lord will be part of this family that God is creating. But in both cases, there's a birth of a people that comes through the Passover sacrifice. And I feel like that's one of the key uh, themes of the day is, is really a rebirth and a renewal. Now, as we go through and, and talk about it, there will be a few things we're going to discuss. We're going to talk about uh, what is the Passover offering. Specifically, it's a peace thanksgiving, or it's a type of peace thanksgiving offering. It doesn't fit perfectly into any category, but it is most like a peace thanksgiving offering. So we're going to talk about the peace thanksgiving offering. And I think we're going to talk about the inauguration of the priests. Because even for them, there's what I see is a rebirth taking place. And you'll have to bear with me because this is kind of in development, this idea of the connection between the peace offering and a rebirth. I think it's there, so we're going to talk about it. And then through continued study, we'll find out, is it really there or is it, or is it, or we're going. We're going to issue a correction next week. So, <laughs> specifically, actually, there is one correction. <clears throat> there may be more from last week. Uh, I when I went through and talked about the offerings, I talked about the five types, right? The the burnt offering, the grain offering, the peace offering, the sin offering, and the guilt offering. And when I was mentioning the grain offering, I was speaking of it in connection with the uh, the whole burnt offering, and and I mentioned. I think I mentioned, can't verify, but I think I did. I think I had said that it is one that is given wholly up to God. And there's one type of grain offering that is given totally up to God. And that's the one that the priest himself gives. But the other grain offerings, if a person were to bring it, part of the offering would go on the altar and part would go to the priest. So I don't think I, I'm confident I didn't say that second part about part going on the offering and part going to the priest. <clears throat> so... Now I'm clarifying that. So, all right, very good. All right, so speaking though about Shabbat Hagadol, right? And, we're, and I talked about how we're commemorating the Exodus from Egypt, and we're also commemorating uh, the work of Yeshua and the Exodus that we have out of sin and death into new life through Him. Well, when He was here on the earth and He was preparing for His last Passover, He came into Jerusalem mounted on a donkey, right? If we read in Luke 19, the scripture says, they brought it, being the donkey, to Yeshua, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Yeshua on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. 
For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And he was teaching daily in the temple. The chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him, but they did not find anything they could do, for all the people were hanging on his words. So here Yeshua is coming in, mounted on a donkey, which is actually a sign of impending judgment for the nation. Um, and, and then even when he says that you did not recognize the day of your visitation, when he's saying that, that is a specific phrase used throughout the prophets to speak about a coming judgment that God was going to send for people who, ha who had not walked in repentance. It's used multiple times. So the day of visitation was not, it might be easy for us to think, oh, you know, the day when Yeshua visited you. But it's not actually the day Yeshua visited you. Yeshua was coming, calling you to repentance so that the day of visitation would not come upon the children of Israel. But because the leadership did not accept his words and were instead seeking to destroy him, then they had missed their opportunity and the day of visitation was going to come. And for that, Yeshua wept, seeing the destruction that would come upon, upon them when God had provided the way out. And the way out was repentance and turning back to God in faithfulness and trusting in him. So, you know, throughout worship, we kept seeing Hosanna in the highest. Well, I'm pretty sure Chelsea knew that today was Hoshana, or, you know, Shabbat Hagadol. And so, you know, speaking of Yeshua coming in and everyone saying Hoshana to the King of Kings. Um, so that was wonderful to sing that and think about Yeshua coming in, the king mounted on a donkey, humble, coming to be the redeemer for a people who had missed their chance. But the God still loved greatly. <clears throat> so Yeshua rode in from the donkey on the 10th. He was in the temple daily, as we read there in the scriptures, and he was teaching. And as he's teaching in the temple, he's being examined. Right? He is the Passover lamb who is coming in on the 10th. He's in the temple being exam examined by the leadership, and they could find no blemish in him. Even when he was brought before the, the Sanhedrin, or b before the priests on the night of his betrayal, the night of his arrest, they still had to bring false witnesses against him to seek for any opportunity to lay claim against him, but they could find no witnesses that could stand. So he was found without blemish. Now he was accused of blasphemy, but he simply said that he was the Messiah, right? But then he, after being examined, he then died at the time of the Passover sacrifice on the 14th day of Nisan. And there are so many parallels through the story of Yeshua himself as the Passover lamb and so, when we're looking at trying to understand the work of Yeshua, as we talked about last week, we can find him represented in each of the offerings that are given up to the Lord. And then this week, we're going to focus primarily on 
his association here with the Passover lamb and the Passover offering. But as I mentioned before, it is a type of a peace offering. Okay, and there's another verse I want to read, but before I read it, I want to um, think it's going to make more sense if we talk some about the peace offering. And so I'm going to hold off on going to Ephesians. One of the other components of what we read in, in Exodus Exodus 12 was about removing the leaven from our homes. And this is one of the things that we're working towards as we're getting closer to the day. Figuring out, well, what exactly is the chametz and how do we get, get it out of our homes? And then for seven days, how do we not consume the chametz? And one of the questions that comes up is, well, why should we not have chametz during Passover? And often one of the thoughts is, well, when the children of Israel left, when they were driven out of Egypt, they had they took their bread quickly and they left and there was no time for it to become leavened. So they took the matzah with them. So that is one of the reasons. But there's, there's additional symbolism to the chametz. And some of the aspect is that chametz symbolizes something that has risen, has become puffed up. It can have association, associations with pride or the ego being focused on the self. Whereas when you're talking about matzah, you're talking about something that's very simple, plain, um, humble, truthfully. It's just grain and water. It has nothing special added in, no real work of man to bring it about. Whereas the chametz, that's man is working with the grain in order to create something that is processed and more refined. Whereas the things for the altar are those which are humble, lowly, basic, right? You're talking about blood, talking about the animal that is offered up and put on the altar. It's raw, you know? And so then you have the, the grain that's offered up in a similar manner. So another aspect that I tend to think of with regard to this is that chametz, once water is introduced to the grain, it become it begins the process of decay and putrefaction. Okay, so it's beginning to break down. And when I think about what God has coming into his presence, right? When you come into God's presence, there's wholeness. There is no death. There is no decay. Part of the reason why there is no death or decay, such as in the in the case where when the showbread is baked, it's then placed on the table there in the holy place. And one week later, it's taken off and the priests eat it. And it's said to still have been warm and fresh a week later. And you say, well, how is that possible? Right? Well, on one aspect, you can say in the presence of God, there is no decay. There is nothing that is breaking down. But on the other side, within God's temple, we're, we're coming into his place. And what is his place? His place is a place beyond space and time. Right? It's beyond time. And so if time is ceasing to exist in his presence, then when you're placing the bread there in a place that is without time, then it actually would not cool down or decay. It's an amazing thing to think about, right? And in fact, we're going to have to do some kind of teaching on that in the future, because even in the Holy of Holies, that's the place that's said to be where there is no space, where the Ark of the Covenant itself actually takes up no room 
when you measure the dimensions that are given of the Holy of Holies. But anyway, that's a separate thing. We'll come back to that another time. But think about that, God's presence being a place of otherworldly, that the priests are entering into to minister unto him. All right, so, so the chametz, we remove it for, for various reasons. One, it's commanded in the scripture, but two, it has, it's not just that it's commanded in the scripture, but we seek to understand, well, what is God trying to tell us in this? And part of it is about humble yourselves, come humbly before the Lord, not seeking to focus on yourself, but on him and his work to lay yourself low before him. Even as you know, Richard commented at the end of last week, to make ourselves a living sacrifice unto the Lord. And 1 Corinthians 5, 6 through 8, Paul says, Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little, little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Messiah, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So here we are. We're getting ready to celebrate the festival with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Yeshua himself being the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Okay, so... One of the things I've done in the past or kind of walked us through in the past is imagining that we were alive at the time of, of the second temple. And just kind of walking through what would what would be going on at this point in time. We know what's going on right now. We've got all kinds of crazy things with our life going on and we're trying to get ready for Passover and hoping we have everything ready by Wednesday night, right? At least that's where I am. I don't know about you guys, but that's where I am. But w what if we were alive in the time of the Second Temple? You know, questions would be, well, where would you be right now if you were living in the land of Israel? Well, you would be, you would already be in Jerusalem making plans and preparations for, for the Passover. And part of the reason you would already be in Jerusalem, well, it's one of three festivals that God calls every male 20 years and older to come to Jerusalem to celebrate. Okay, and anyone who was able to get there would, would go there. Yeshua and his family would go every year. Entire family, not just the male 20 years and over. Which is what the scriptures tell us, is that the custom of his family was to go there every year, and he offered his first Passover when he was 12. Not that that was his first Passover, but specifically that he was performing the duties associated with that because of the level of maturity he had achieved. And so you'd be in Jerusalem making preparation because coming to the temple, you're going to have to immerse at a minimum to remove ritual impurity such that you could come into the temple. But the other thing is that if you had come into contact with death, it, like coming into contact with a corpse during the prior year, you not only had to immerse, you had to be sprinkled with the ashes of the red heifer, the waters of purification. And the process of purification from contamination from death was a seven-day period of time, which if you recall a few weeks ago, 
we we had Shabbat para, which was the Sabbath of the red heifer, which was a reminder to the children of Israel that they needed to prepare for the coming day and would need to take into account that they may, may need a seven day purification period. And so during that seven days, there would be cleansing from ritual impurity and also cleansing from death as needed. And again, I think that part of the, well, the ritual impurity is a barrier that would keep one from, from being in God's presence and even keep one from eating the Passover lamb. And so that had to be taken care of before one could eat of the Passover lamb or otherwise they would sp be spiritually cut off, is what the scripture tells us. Um, all right, and then last week we we went through and we talked about within the sacrifices the imagery that would take place within the offerings and how the one bringing an offering would lay their hands upon the animal to impart their soul into the animal such that their soul was within the blood of the animal. Then when the blood of the animal was spilled, it was as though the soul of the one bringing the offering was what was splashed upon the altar coming into the presence of God. And, and within all of that, we referred to Leviticus 17:11, which says the life is in the blood. God has given it to us as an atonement for the life is in the blood. And that's what's offered on the altar. So it brings, it draws near the one who is bringing the offering as close as possible to God without the one bringing the offering having to die. Right? And so we spoke about... In fact, I'll go ahead and put this up on the screen. We talked about the five kinds of offerings being the Ola, which is the elevation offering, the Mincha, which is the grain offering, the Shlamim, peace offering, Chatat, sin offering, and Asham, which was the guilt offering. And again, just as a little overview so that we can remember this, the Ola is one that was entirely burned up on the altar. The priest didn't get any part of it, and the one bringing the offering didn't get any part. The mincha, as we spoke of earlier today, uh, depending on the scenario, the most common offering was the one associated with the person bringing it. Part would go on the altar, part would go to the priest. The shlamim was a peace offering, and it's the only one where all three participants would have something. Part would go on the altar, part would go to the priest, and then the majority would go to the one who was bringing the offering. So the one bringing the offering shared in the table. And then with both the chatat and the asham, part of it went on the altar and part of it went to the priests. Okay. And only the last two, the chatat and the asham, were specifically for the purpose of being brought as a sin offering for involuntary, or yes, involuntary sins. Accidental sins. But most of the offerings that were brought were for the purpose of drawing near to God just out of a voluntary offering up to the Lord. Or in the case of a peace offering, a celebration unto the Lord. And some of the things we talked about last week too is that 
you know, the offerings did not bring forgiveness. Um, repentance is what opened the door to forgiveness that God extended. And the offering was a way of completing the reconciliation and being a covering over the one bringing the offering. And so when, like in what we'll read here later on today about the consecration of the priests and their dedication, is that you would bring the sin offering to bring right standing, right reconciliation and covering, and then the elevation offering would be brought in celebration unto God and just giving holy unto him and elevating the one who is bringing the offering. But it's the right standing accomplished and then the giving glory and the elevation. All right, so now assume that you're in Jerusalem, you've come, you've gone through the ritual purification, and you are ready to bring the Passover offering, or even say you're not bringing the Passover offering, but you're going to eat of it. And what would your mindset be? You know, what is the attitude here at the time of Passover? Would you be coming forward thinking, um, I'm lowly and sinful and horrible, and I really hope this Passover lamb brings atonement for my sin? Or would you be coming, offering a sacrifice with shouts of joy and celebrating unto God what he has done through his great deliverance and coming to tell of a great miracle? Right? And the answer is actually you would not be coming saying, I hope this Passover lamb can cover over my sins because the Passover lamb is not a sin sacrifice. It's a peace, it's a type of peace thanksgiving offering to celebrate what God has done, and to give glory to him. Now, that may sound a little bit strange, right? But if you, if you think about the Passover offering, the scripture said that you shall bring a lamb and you're going to give it according to the number of people in your household who can eat of it. Well, there's only one kind of offering that the one bringing the offering can actually take and eat of. You can't eat of a burnt offering. You can't eat of... Even the grain offering, you can't eat of the chatat or the asham, neither sin, sin nor the guilt offering. So the Passover offering cannot fall into those categories. It has to fall into a peace offering, which according to scripture is, in most cases, a voluntary offering. Now, the Passover offering is not a voluntary offering. It's one that is commanded. So it is in, the, it's, in its own class within a peace offering. Does that make sense? Now, when I say it can't be a sin offering, I know a lot of people are like, hang on, what are you talking about? Because I know that what we just read in 1 Corinthians said that Yeshua is our Passover lamb. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, according to Scripture. We know that we have forgiveness through Him. So how is it that you can tell me that the Passover sacrifice is not a sin offering? Well, it's, it's really because we can find Yeshua in the whole array of offerings. Okay? But the Passover offering is not with regard to the sin. And even... I don't know how far I should go into this. What was that? Far? Okay, so... Um, so... 
Okay, so let's let's go with this. Yeah, we got plenty of time. I mean, that clock is three minutes fast, so I got I got lots of time. Okay, all right. First off, last week we talked about how Yeshua and his death and his blood functions in a different realm, in a different jurisdiction than the offerings that happen here on the earth. Right, the offerings that are prescribed here in the Torah are for the purpose of drawing near to God here on the earth in the tabernacle that he commanded to Moses Moses to make that was a shadow of the tabernacle in the heavens. And so God appointed a priesthood over the tabernacle here on earth that would administer the service in the temple and the offerings to handle these earthly ways of drawing near to God. And the earthly form that was built had to be cleansed with the blood of bulls and goats, which the writer of Hebrews affirmed. Um, and I know I'm not, not going to go into enough detail today. If you have questions about things I'm saying, I probably talked about it last week, so you can refer back to last week's message. But the things on the earth had to be cleansed with the blood of bulls and goats to be set apart unto God. And the, the offerings made here on the earth were not for the purpose of everlasting life. They weren't for forgiveness of sin. They were for drawing near to God in the earthly realm and, and giving glory to God in this place and even, even serving as intercession in this place. But the blood of Yeshua operates in the heavenly tabernacle, not on the earthly tabernacle. So his blood would not be fit to bring forward and splash on the altar at the earthly tabernacle. It is the wrong jurisdiction. And then the writer of Hebrews talks about how the things in the heavenly had to be cleansed with something that is greater than, than the blood of bulls and goats. And it was cleansed with the blood of Yeshua. Okay, so his activity, what he did on the earth and the shedding of his blood, his death and resurrection, accomplished what the offerings on earth could never do. Okay, because through his death and resurrection, through the life that is in his blood, and our identities placed within him and in his blood, we then are seated with him in heavenly places. And through his blood, where he is, we are there with him. And so if he is in the presence of the Father, he presents us before the Father and brings us into his presence. And through that, Yeshua opens up the way to everlasting life. And even as the Hebrew, or the writer of Hebrews states, Yeshua is a high priest in the heavenlies, whereas he does not qualify as a priest on the earth, because again, it's a different jurisdiction. So when we look at the work of Yeshua and what he has done, the life he gives us, it is in no way in competition with what takes place on the earthly realm. I feel like that's important to say because Yeshua is one sacrifice for all. There's no longer a need for any sacrifice for us to receive everlasting life. But that one sacrifice for all does nothing to negate the earthly sacrifices or offerings because it wasn't intended to replace them. It wasn't intend intended to do the things that the earthly ones themselves do. That's why the Followers of Yeshua continued to offer sacrifices in the temple after the death and resurrection of Yeshua. 
they didn't have any problem with the idea that Yeshua had given them everlasting life and that he was the one sacrifice for all and the fact that they could still bring offerings in the temple. Because guess what? They weren't perfect either. They still had sin at times. They still came to offer sacrifices to God so that they could draw near to him, right? And you can find this in uh, Acts 21 and in other places as well. Um, where offerings were still being made and the disciples were still in the temple daily offering prayers unto God. So, okay, all that being said, right? Um, the Passover offering does not deal with sin, but Yeshua himself does deal with sin. He himself is not fit to be a sacrifice on earth. Okay, so let me clarify what I'm saying here. According to the Torah, God does not like human sacrifice. <laughs> Putting it lightly. Okay, God does not want human sacrifice. And when he prescribes offerings that are fit for his altar on the earth, he only lists a few kosher animals and then birds that can be offered, and then he mentions grain. At no point in time does he mention a man or a man's blood. Okay? So Yeshua himself was not a kosher animal. So he didn't qualify as an offering on the earth. If you go even further and, and extend it beyond that, he was not killed by the priesthood, or and his death was not overseen by the priesthood. He died at the hands of the Romans. If an animal sacrifice was to be accepted on God's altar, it had to be humanely slaughtered with a very sharp instrument, whereby when the neck was cut, it didn't even know it was cut, such that it would bleed out and it would just pass out. It was like the most humane death possible, out of respect. Yeshua died, he suffered more than any man, right? Even as, the, as Isaiah says, he was beaten, afflicted, right? And we know that he was... Well, he was tortured by the Romans even before he was put on the cross, which was the most inhumane form of execution. So, and then his blood was not thrown on the altar because it really couldn't be, okay? And so he doesn't qualify as a literal sacrifice, but we can find metaphor and understanding within his death and resurrection for how he accomplishes everything that these offerings point to. And last week we gave a little little overview about how he willingly gave himself up entirely, laid himself down. Well, that's a picture of the burnt offering, right? Holy given unto God, an elevation offering. An elevation offering elevates the one who brings the offering, okay? Well, Yeshua bringing the offering, he was elevated. He was given the name above every name. That in the name of Yeshua, every knee would bow, right? God was pleased to give him that. And then he himself elevates all of mankind as well through his offering. And then he is also a grain offering in, in a way of, he speaks about a grain of wheat dying. And then it brings forth new life out of the earth, having a yield far beyond what a single seed could bring, right? So we have Yeshua there. We have 
the sin offering that is brought forward to bring um, to bring reconciliation and atonement for those who have inadvertently sinned, the guilt offering, which covers a, an array of mishandling, well, it's robbery, uh, mishandling the things of the holy, various other aspects, and then there's also this peace offering. And so with the peace offering, we need to understand, well, okay, what is a peace offering so that we can understand this Passover better and understand the work of Yeshua? So he, he is a type of peace offering, and a peace offering is a shalamim, and within the root of the word is uh, shalom, complete, or even shalom, peace. And Rashi says that a peace offering is brought, and when it is brought, it has the spiritual capacity of increasing peace in the world. Okay? And then other sages express the harmony between the heavenly world, that the, 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 the peace offering brings harmony between the heavenly world and the material one. And the one who brings a peace offering seeks to unite the two worlds. Rambam notes that it's a wholeness offering because the person who brings this offering has not been motivated by a need to atone for sin, but by a sense of wholeness and a free will desired for God to make them perfect. Okay. So the peace offering created an opportunity to share in the table of the Lord because the priests had a share, God had a share, and the one bringing it had a share. So it represents fellowship between God and man. All right. Now, I want to read briefly here about this peace offering from Leviticus 3, verses 6 through 11. So we have some ideas about what does, what's its intent and what does it bring. This is last week's portion. Leviticus 3, 6 through 11 says, If his offering for a sacrifice of peace offering to the Lord is an animal from the flock, male or female, he shall offer it without blemish. If he offers a lamb for his offering, then he shall offer it before the Lord. Lay his head on, hand on the head of his offering and kill it in front of the tent of meeting. And Aaron's sons shall, shall throw its blood against the sides of the altar. Then from the sacrifice of the peace offering... He shall offer as a food offering to the Lord its fat. He shall remove the whole fat tail, cut off close to the backbone, and the fat that covers the entrails, and all the fat that is on the entrails, and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them at the loins and the long lobe of the liver that he shall remove with the kidneys. And the priest shall burn it on the altar as a food offering to the Lord. Okay, so this is the peace offering that is mentioned. Let's go to Leviticus 7. And this is the law of the sacrifice of peace offerings that one may offer to the Lord. If he offers it for a thanksgiving, okay, this is the peace thanksgiving offering, then he shall offer with the thanksgiving sacrifice unleavened loaves mixed with oil, unleavened wafers smeared with oil, and loaves of fine flour well mixed with oil. With the sacrifice of his peace offerings for thanksgiving, he shall bring his offering with loaves of leavened bread. And from it, he shall offer one loaf from each offering as a gift to the Lord. It shall, it shall belong to the priest who throws the blood of the peace offerings. And the flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offerings for thanksgiving shall be eaten on the day of his offering. He shall not leave any, over it, any of it until the morning. All right, so within the peace offerings, a standard peace offering 
could be eaten for two days. It could not be carried over to the third day. A peace Thanksgiving offering could not be carried over to the second day. It had to be eaten on that first day. Now, the peace Thanksgiving offering, what we just read, had leavened loaves as part of it. It had unleavened loaved loaves and it had leavened loaves. In all, it had a total of 40 loaves that were, that were offered up. The majority of those would go to the one bringing the offering. So they would take a lot of food back from the offering of both meat and of bread. And they would then call together a celebration of their neighbors saying, I made a peace offering unto the Lord, come join me. And so then they would bring their neighbors together, enough people who would be able to consume the offering of both the, the animal and of the, the loaves, such that none would remain over till the next day. So they would have a large celebration. And they called the large celebration together because they had a testimony to share about what God had done. Okay, so it was an opportunity to give glory to God and to give thanks to Him for, for really a miracle that He had done. And according to Rashi, there are four people who bring a thanksgiving offering. Those who made a sea voyage and returned safely. Those who journeyed in the desert and apparently returned safely. Uh, <laughs> right? um, those who had been imprisoned and had been released. And then those who were sick and had recovered. And each of these can be found in Psalm 107, which is a psalm of praise to God. In fact, I mean, we won't read all this, but within the psalm, it's, so give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble. And as you go through and read, you can find each of these four types of people within this psalm. And within this psalm, there is a verse verse 22 that says let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving let them offer peace thanksgiving offerings and tell of his deeds and songs of joy right and then there's here's some went down to the ships and so forth and it, it goes on uh, we're not going to read all of that but it was it was times when people had been brought out of a deadly situation back into life it was the time of giving these peace thanksgiving offerings and giving testimony and witness to it. Now, if we look at the Passover offering, right now, it doesn't line up perfectly with this peace thanksgiving offering because the peace thanksgiving offering speaks of bringing leavened loaves. But apart from that, it's, the parallels are very close. You're bringing an offering that you're going to take a part of and you're going to share with a group of people who can eat it. You're going to be eating matzah, the unleavened loaves, and you're giving thanks to God for great things he's done. Back in Egypt, the children of Israel were being delivered out of death, right, where Pharaoh was seeking to annihilate and destroy the Jewish people through hard labor and burdens and casting their children into the Nile. Right? So God delivered them out of death and gave them a new life. He gave them rebirth as a nation and a people who could then come and be his. And the way that he did it is he said, offer this type of peace thanksgiving offering, this Pesach, this, this Passover offering 
and I'm going to bring you out, bring you out as a people. And Rabbi Foreman speaks of the some of the, the pictures of what was taking place with the Passover offering, even having uh, illustrations of the birth of a people. So and an example, he goes into a lot of detail. So this is very limited what I'm sharing here. But if you imagine, God says, go into your homes, take the blood of the lamb and put it on your doorposts all around the opening. Okay, now stay in there all night. Now, what I want you to do is I want you to eat the Passover lamb with your, your belt around your waist, with your staff in your hand, your sandals on your feet. You are ready to go in a moment's notice. And then when I say you're going to come out, you're going to burst through this door that has blood on it out into new life and freedom. Okay, but you cannot leave this place. You must be confined in here and ready to go as there's all kinds of travail taking place in the world. And at the right moment, you're going to burst forth and you'll be birthed as a people. Right. So it's really a neat idea here about a new birth coming out of the Passover. It's preceded by this peace thanksgiving offering type that brings forth this new birth into a new place and then you come forward to uh, mount sinai and after the after god speaks the 10 commandments or the 10 statements moses then offers up offerings including shalamim the peace offerings and the shalamim are a key part of the inauguration of the covenant and the blood is sprinkled on the book of the covenant and on the people to seal a covenant with God. And so God's saying, here again, we have these peace offerings being made right before you're now birthed into this new people and covenant relationship with God. Okay, so let's take that a step further. Now we look at the work of Yeshua, right? Who himself is a type of Passover offering, not the on the earthly realm, but certainly in the heavenly realm into a whole new dimension of life being delivered out of sin and death so that we might be reborn as a new creation in Messiah. We who were dead in our transgressions have now been made alive together with him, right? Reborn as a people unto him. And he himself as a peace thanksgiving offering paved the way for that new birth and becoming a new people. Now, If we take this a little further, okay, so we're talking about the work of Yeshua and the life that we have through him and how he cleanses us from sin and death. He purifies us. We're immersed in him. We're immersed in the waters. We come up as a new creation made right with God through repentance, through his blood and the waters of purification that he poured forth into this new life. So we've been made pure. We've been given new life all through his work. Now, if we look, and, and two, also we've been made into a kingdom of priests unto the Lord, right? Put in a place of serving God in this world. But we had to be sanctified and set apart to be able to actually go forward and perform that, right? Called forth as his ministers, as his representatives. And so he made the way for that to happen. Well, in a way, I, what I, I see a connection here with what's happening with Aaron and his sons in Leviticus 8. 
I don't think I have it on on the slides here, but Leviticus 8, 14 through 30, I do, 30, 14 through 33, okay? Moses has been, uh, he's in the process of erecting the tabernacle and getting ready for it to be fully inaugurated, going through uh, daily offerings and preparation and, and making it holy. And then along with making the tabernacle holy and setting it apart, there also is the requirement of making a priesthood that is holy and set apart to serve within it. And here in Leviticus 8, starting in verse 14, the scripture says, Then he brought the bull of the sin offering. So Moses is bringing the offerings. He brings the bull of the sin offering, and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the bull of the sin offering. And he killed it, and Moses took the blood, and with his finger put it on the horns of the altar around it, and purified the altar, and poured out the blood at the base of the altar, and consecrated it to make atonement for it. So here you go, the blood that's cleansing the altar, right? Making atonement for the altar that the altar didn't sin, but it didn't need to be made holy and set apart, right? And he took all the fat that was on the entrails and the long lobe of the liver and the two kidneys with their fat, and Moses burned them on the altar. But the bull and its skin and its flesh and, and its dung, he burned up with fire outside the camp as the Lord commanded Moses. Then he presented the ram of the burnt offering, and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the ram, and he killed it. And Moses threw the blood against the sides of the altar. He cut the ram into pieces, and Mo Moses burned the head and the pieces and the fat. He washed the entrails and the legs with water, and Moses burned the whole ram on the altar. It was a burnt offering with a pleasing aroma, a food offering for the Lord as the Lord commanded Moses. So the first offering he made was the sin offering according to all the rules of the sin offering. Um, and then the second one he made was the elevation offering with all the rules of the elevation offering. And then he presented the other ram, the ram of ordination. Okay, Some translations say ordination, some say inauguration. And Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the ram, and he killed it. And Moses took some of its blood and put it on the lobe of Aaron's right ear, and on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot. Then he presented Aaron's sons, and Moses put some of the blood on the lobes of their right ears, and on the thumbs of their right hands, and on the big toes of their right feet. And Moses threw the blood against the sides of the altar. Then he took the fat and the fat tail, and all the fat that was on the entrails, and the long lobe of the liver, and the two kidneys with their fat, and the right thigh. And out of the basket of unleavened bread that was before the Lord, he took one unleavened loaf, and one loaf of bread with oil, and one wafer, and placed them on the pieces of fat and on the right thigh. And he put all these in the hands of Aaron and in the hands of his sons, and waved them as a wave offering before the Lord. Then Moses took them from their hands and burned them on the altar with the burnt offering. This was an ordination offering with a pleasing aroma, a food offering to the Lord. And Moses took the breast and waved it for a wave offering before the Lord. It was Moses' portion of the ram of ordination, as the Lord commanded Moses. Then Moses took some of the anointing oil, some of the blood that was on the altar, and sprinkled it on Aaron and his garments, and also on his sons and his sons' garments. So he consecrated Aaron and his garments, and his sons and his sons' garments with him. And Moses said to Aaron and his sons, Boil the flesh at the entrance of the tent of meeting, and there eat it and the bread that is in the basket of ordination offerings, as I commanded, saying, Aaron and his sons shall eat it. 
And what remains of the flesh and bread you shall burn up with fire, and you shall not go outside the entrance of the tent of meeting for seven days until the days of your ordination are completed, for it will take seven days to ordain you. All right, so that last offering had both something that went on the altar, something that went to Moses, who was serving as the priest, and something that went to Aaron and his sons, who were not serving as priests at this time, but were likened unto the ones who were bringing the offering, right? Because they laid their hands on the animal. So this was a type of peace offering that was now offered where all three were sharing in the Lord's table. And this was the lamb of inauguration, the lamb of ordination. The first was for sin, cleansing, purification. The second was for elevation. And now this third one was this communal aspect that was then bringing Aaron and his sons into a new place of becoming priests unto God. It was, a, I see it as being another birth of a type and even a picture of what's done as God ordains his priests to go out and minister in his name. And interestingly, they are ordained for a seven day period and it's on the eighth day that they go in and now take over and begin to serve in this tabernacle that has now been inaugurated and set apart and God's presence is dwelling upon it. Well, that's a picture of the world to come. The seven days of creation and the 7,000 years of man followed by the eighth day. The eighth day being the time when God's tabernacle is with man and he is dwelling in their midst and a new beginning has begun. Right? So I just, I see, what I'm seeing is a connection between the peace offering and a rebirth and a new life. And we see it here in the Passover. We see it in the ordination of the priesthood. We see it in the people coming into covenant with God. And we see also with the work of Yeshua and how he has brought a people into new life and a rebirth out of death to be able to live whole, complete. And having Yeshua coming as the one who is going to create communion between God and man and to unite the heavenly and the earthly. It's really a beautiful picture as we come together and saying, okay, Lord, we're coming to celebrate your Passover. We're celebrating the freedom from worldly oppression and we're celebrating the freedom from sin and death that we might be a people wholly given unto you. And we get to celebrate that this Wednesday night and throughout the entire time of Unleavened Bread. And to say, God, thank you for the glory that you poured out, that you have given to us, that you brought us into the, this life, that we might be ministers unto you, representing you in the world so that others might come to have life too and not have their day of visitation, but instead come to know you as the God and Savior of all who would turn to you. Amen. Oh, hey, one last thing. Sorry, if, if I can. The one verse that I put off, I forgot to go back to, but it'd be cool to read it. Um, see, you think you're free, but you're not free. <laughs> okay, but it was this, because when you read in Ephesians 2, 13 through 22, think about when you hear the word peace, think about the peace offering. Okay? But now in Yeshua Messiah, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Messiah beautiful, right? The drawing near through his blood. For he himself is our peace, 
who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments. Actually, this is the, the writ that has everything that you've done wrong that's against you. He removed that so that he might make one new man in place of the two, such making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Yeshua Messiah himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Amen. What a wonderful picture. It like, just sums up the whole thing, doesn't it? All right, let's pray. Lord, we bless you and we give you thanks for your goodness. We thank you for this time of renewal, of rebirth. We thank you, Lord, for all the glorious things that you have done that we get to come together and celebrate and that we even get to prophetically declare the day in which we will be fully redeemed, where the redemption will be complete and your presence will dwell with man and all the earth will bow and give praise and thanks to you. Lord, I ask that you would uh, bless our celebrations, Lord, that you would encounter us during this time of Passover and unleavened bread, that you would give us new revelations of your truth, of your glory, and that we would come before you humbly, not to exalt ourselves, but Lord, to lay ourselves as living sacrifices before you and to trust in the work of Yeshua and the life that he gives us. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness and kindness in this day that we can celebrate you on the Shabbat Haggadol. Lord, we look forward to seeing Yeshua come as the king on the clouds of glory to bring restoration or redemption and completion. We thank you, Father. We bless you in the name of Yeshua. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this message, please consider sharing it with a friend or family member and help us out by giving a review on iTunes or other podcast platform. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org for additional teachings and information about visiting Emmaus Road in Kingwood, Texas.